0: that actually reveals uh, some very familiar situations in our lives, some very familiar challenges that we have in our lives. And so today I'm going to tell you a story. And uh, it's a story that I think is familiar to a lot of us, but yet uh, we probably have not seen it through this lens that we're going to see it today. But in fact... The fact that we haven't seen it through this lens probably has limited us from really seeing the whole story, the real story, the true story. Now, I don't know if you're a fan of movies, but I'm a fan of movies. I like movies. And, um, you know, one of the things that I like in movies, which you probably like as well, are uh, some plot twists. I like the plot twist type of movies, you know, where you kind of expect something, something's going to happen. Now, if I go with my wife and I see a movie that involves plot twists, it's actually not a good thing. Because we actually start off and probably about five minutes in, she's like, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. And I'm a I'm like, great, great, that's good, I'm glad you know. No, I know. Yeah, you know, that's great, I, I'm glad you know. You want to know? No, I don't really want to know. No, I know what's going to happen, you want to know? No, I really want to know. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Ah. Oh. So she tells me, and then you know exactly, exactly what's going to happen, right? But I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming. But there's some famous plot twist movies that you can think about that you actually thought, and not just plot twists, but character twists, where you thought it was it was about one character, but it ended being about another character, right? Uh, maybe some of you guys have seen the movie Private Ryan. Now, I know it's a, you know, pretty intense movie, but, you know, at first you kind of think it's actually the movie is about... You know, uh, Tom Hanks, right? That he, you know, he's the one kind of there, uh, in the, uh, cemetery and, and celebrating the rescue and everything. But actually it was, it was about Private Ryan, right? So, uh, you know, that was kind of a plot twist. Some of you guys maybe have seen, uh, uh The Sixth Sense. Right, and, and you, you see that you know he, he's a counselor and he's counseling you know a kid that sees dead people. You know, and he's like, "Really, you see dead people?" And you know, he's counseling him, and then he finds out. At, you know, we find out later. I, I hope you haven't. You know, this is an old movie. Okay, I I'm not ruining it for you guys. But at the end, you find out that actually he was one of the dead people too. Like, wow, blows your mind, right? It's like, mind blown, intense. You know, and there's some other thing, you know, uh, even musicals that have come out, like the musical Wicked, you know, reveals a whole different story. And you, know, you thought about, you know, who's the good witch? Who's the bad witch? And we actually know, you know, the bad witch that we all thought was the bad witch in The Wizard of Oz is actually the good witch. And the, the good one is actually the bad one. And, you know, kind of a whole, you know, thing. Or maybe you've seen the, the, the animated movie Hoodwinked. If you haven't seen that movie, you gotta see that one. It's not a super, you know, it's not like Shrek and like a big popular one, but it's actually really funny, Hoodwinked, and it's about the whole Little Red Riding Hood and the whole story, and it reveals it in a whole different way. But maybe the most popular character twist movie of all time, or movie series of all time, is this one. And we probably thought the movie was gonna be, uh, really about this character. Yeah, about that one right there, right? Are we connected here? Are you connected with this? Yeah? But no, we all thought, you know, when we first saw it, right? There you go. We thought, oh, yeah, Star Wars. It's about Luke Skywalker. It's obvious. I mean, it's, you know, it's about him. This is, you know, he is the guy. He is the one, you know, and everyone dressed up, you know, in the costume. They, they picked this one right here, right? But then, you know, uh, the next movie came out, you thought, no, it's actually about this guy. Well, at the end of the day, you end up finding out the real movie is about this guy. (laughs) Oh, really, this guy, right? Who kind of gets redeemed through the whole story. If you haven't seen the Star Wars, you know, you're a little bit behind on on stuff. (laughs) So today I'm going to tell you a story and I want us all to go to Genesis chapter 44. And Genesis chapter 44 is probably one of the most, if not the most, turning point chapters in the entire Bible. you probably never heard that. Genesis chapter 44. Because God does something remarkable here in this story. In Genesis chapter 44. And I want to give you a little bit of the background of the story of what's going on. Because some of you might, might be familiar, some of you might not. The story really begins in chapter 37 of Genesis. Uh, we know the story of Jacob a little bit. Jacob actually um, had uh, two wives. He originally was planning to marry uh, the love of his life, Rachel. But his father-in-law deceived him and actually married him to the older daughter, Leah. And so he ends up marrying Leah, and then later on says, If you work for me some more, then I'll let you marry Rachel as well. So you have basically this beginning kind of tough situation, tough marriage situation, with Jacob having two wives, Leah and Rachel, but Rachel being the love of his life. They end up beginning now then to have children, and Rachel, the love of his life, is not able to have children. And Leah then begins begins to have children, you know, with Reuben and and, and Levi. And and then later on, you know, going down the line to Judah. And then, then, you know, Rachel is jealous and she's trying to figure out what's going on. And so she can't have children, so she gives her uh, maidservant Bilhah uh, to Jacob. And so they have two children through the maidservant uh, Bilhah. And then Leah does the same thing and they have two children to her maidservant Silpa. So this is a, quite a story already, right? And then later on, uh, Leah has two more of her own children. You know, Issachar and Zebulun. So, you know, I, Leah just, you know, stuff is happening, you know, God's working life. And so Rachel's feeling, man, what's going on with me? But then God blesses Rachel with a son, Joseph, and then uh, later on another son, Benjamin. Right, They were kind of the, the, both the blood brothers uh, with their mother, Rachel, the beloved wife of Jacob. And so in chapter 37, you see kind of an interesting story happening here. Because in chapter 37, what happens is that Joseph goes up. He's a younger brother. He's got 10 brothers, right? And these are all 10 active, strapping, young men, brothers. They're working in the fields. And so Joseph is actually the favorite son. He's the favorite son. His, you know his his dad Jacob treats him with favoritism. He is that son that they waited for so long you know and, and so he gives them special gifts and special treats and so the brothers obviously are jealous of him and so God gives this Joseph the beloved son a dream, and he gives him a dream that pretty much reveals that in the end later on, all his brothers and his parents are going to bow down to him. So of course this infuriates the brothers and in the Bible says they actually hated him and they cannot speak a kind word to him. I don't know if you've ever been with siblings or you can't even say one nice thing to each other, you know, maybe with your kids, can you just say something nice to each other? Well, these guys, I mean, they, they had such a, I mean, rivalry, and they were so jealous that they couldn't even say anything nice to Joseph. But Joseph had this dream that was revealed to him by God, and he felt, hey, i got to reveal it because this is what God's going to do. And, of course, they took it wrong. And so, as the story goes, this, you know, a long story, they sent him out, sent Joseph out to meet his brothers. The brothers see him, and they said, here comes this dreamer. And they concoct this scheme, these awesome brothers... You know, hopefully you don't have brothers like this or family members like this. And they say, you know what? Let's kill him. (laughs) Here he comes. Let's kill him. And so one of them, out of compassion, Reuben, the oldest guy, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a cistern. So they they throw him in a cistern. And while he's in the cistern, the other guy, you know, Judah, Judah says, you know what? Instead of killing him, why don't we make money out of him? And let's sell him. You know, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And so they sell him for 20 pieces of silver as a slave. And so he is taken away. He's taken away later on. He's sold to a wealthy man in Egypt. And he works for a wealthy man in Egypt. And he does a great job and God blesses him. But then there's a situation with a wealthy man's wife where she deceives. Uh, her husband saying that Joseph tried to take advantage of her, so he ends up in jail. So, I mean, you know, he goes from a slave, then things start to go well, and then he ends up in jail, right? And then, you know, in jail, he actually starts to do well in jail. He's actually one of the model, you know, prisoners. He's doing great. He's doing awesome. And so in there, there's two other prisoners who were actually servants of the Pharaoh. And he reveals to them a dream And to one of them, the dream means death To the other one, the dream means salvation And to the one that the dream means salvation He says, hey, don't forget about me Talk to the Pharaoh about me And so this guy says, yes, of course I'll do that, and he comes out of jail And he forgets all about Joseph well, then there's a famine in the land that's coming. The prophets say, you know what? There's a famine coming. Let's do something. And you know, and there's a dream that the Pharaoh has. And he tries to figure it out. No one else can figure it out. And then this guy, the servant of the Pharaoh, remembers. Hey, I know a guy. It's two years later. <laughs> I know a guy. He did some work for me a little while back. He, You know, I got some good... He's a good reference. He's a good guy. And so he remembers him. Joseph comes in. And Joseph reveals a dream, he tells him what's going to happen, and so Pharaoh makes Joseph governor over all of Egypt, second only to himself. Isn't that amazing? In the midst of that, then the brothers, you know, have to come for food, As they come for food, they don't know that it's Joseph, because Joseph looks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, you know, talks like an Egyptian, and so they don't know it's really him, and... And then, you know, later on it gets revealed and at the end of the day, you know, Jacob dies and they're scared. What's going to happen? And Joseph said, don't, don't worry about it. all this that happened to me happened for a reason. So that many lives will be changed. And what an incredible story. And we say, wow, Joseph is awesome. If you think of characters in the Bible, you think of Joseph, you think of Daniel, you think of Jesus. I mean, these guys, did they do anything wrong? But you know, you can look at the life of Joseph, you can look at the life of Daniel, and then look at Jesus and say, you know what, it's hard for me to relate. But I can relate to the brothers. You know, when you think about the brothers, there was a lot of sin there with these brothers. Their sins were many. Sins of lies and deception. Sins of sexual indulgence, if you read there in the Bible. Sins of disloyalty and betrayal. The question at the heart of the story of this story really is not about Joseph. You have to be look at this story, wow. Look at everything that happened to Joseph, and Joseph throughout all this, he remained strong, he remained great. The heart of this story is really about the ten brothers. And the pivotal point of this story is really here in chapter forty four of the book of Genesis. And the question of the heart of the story is how can men like this enter into the blessings of God? How can men that are so sinful, men that are so evil, men that you know plotted so much harm against their own brother be included in the blessings of God to be part of the twelve tribes of Israel, be Israel, be pretty much the people of God on earth before God's church is revealed. How can that be? That's what the story is about. You know, there's a great story about how God brings the change about. It begins with the awakening of conscience. God broke into the comfortable, comfortable rhythm of these men. He aroused a memory of their past sins. So when we look at these men, in Genesis chapter, in chapter 44, and the message is titled this morning very simply, Tested... And transformed. Tested and transformed. When we talk about these men, well, what needs to change? What needs to change in these men? Well, what's, what's at the heart of who these ten brothers are? What needs to change? You know, we talk about the transformation of lives. What's at the heart of the transformation of lives? What does it mean for your life? To be transformed. What does it mean for real change to take place? You know, we see it in these brothers, and we see it in this pivotal chapter. What needs to change for Joseph's Joseph's brothers? First thing that needs to change is they need to stop grieving the Father. If you know the story, the story would happen is basically, you know, they hate the brother so much that they, you know, have this plot and to kill him they end up selling him into slavery. But then when they get back, they have to come up with a story. They have to come up with a story for the dad. This is his beloved son. And so they're wondering, hey, what are we going to do? This is, this is, uh, you know, our father's beloved son, we got to tell him something. So they concoct a story, they fill a garment with goat's blood, and they come up with a story saying, you know, wild animal attacked them and ate him. And so they go back and they, and they tell this lie. They deceive their father. They deceive him saying that one thing happened, but another thing happened. And instead, instead of it consoling him, it's actually another dagger to the heart. To hear, man, my, my my son, my beloved son is dead. And again, it's like they plunge a dagger into the heart of their father. And so they grieve the father. You know, you see the irony here. The brothers told their father a lie. But they actually brought him even greater sorrow. And that's how it was for 20 years years for 20 years they kept up this lie for 20 years they saw the emptiness in their dads and their fathers eyes for 20 years they went out into the fields and they worked day by day week by week, year by year the years passed and the deceit and the lie continued it was too difficult to be honest it was too hard to be open it was too hard to just say the truth it was better just to continue the lie The lie that was actually a continual dagger in their father's heart for 20 years. And so what needed to change in these brothers? Well, what needed to change is they needed to stop grieving the father. That's what change meant for them. That's what transformation meant for them. They needed to stop grieving the father. What else needed to change? The next thing they needed needed to change is is they needed to stop hating the dearly, beloved son. And we saw the story, you know, in the book of chapter 37, the, the word hatred is mentioned over and over and over again. They hated him, they hated him, they hated him. Hatred is a strong word. The Bible says that they couldn't even speak a kind word to him. They couldn't say anything nice. Have you ever felt such dislike against somebody that you just can't say anything nice? You know, I don't like her. Yeah, her hair's nice, but I'm not going to tell her. (laughs) She looks nice today, but I just don't like her. I can't say anything nice to her. And they had such hatred for the beloved son. And so another change that needed to happen in this whole story was about Joseph. The brothers hated Joseph. They couldn't speak peaceably to him. And what needed to change is they needed to change their heart against their brother. What does true change and transformation mean for us today? There's a lesson for us. The heart of true repentance is to stop grieving the Father and start loving the Son. See, the story of the Ten Brothers, much more than the story of Joseph, is a story that we're kin to. Is our story. Is our story of change? Is our story of repentance? Is our story of transformation? Is our story of facing testing that in the hopes that God will help us to change? And what does real change look like in the life of someone who's been redeemed? It's to stop grieving the Father and to start loving the Son. What does the words of repentance mean in your life? It means that you need to stop grieving the Father and you start loving the Son. That is what true repentance is all about. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you grieving the Father? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And so we're living in sin and we're living in a lie, and we're saying, yeah, you know, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, but we're lying, 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 and just grieving God, grieving God, grieving God, and The days pass, the weeks pass, the years pass. And the question is, are you grieving the Father? You're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, when you're actually walking in darkness. See, this is what the brothers were doing. They were professing to love the Father, but they were walking in darkness. So they were living a lie, it was a pretense. And you and I can be at church this morning, we can be here this morning, we can come and enjoy sweet fellowship, but yet be living alive because we're walking in darkness. And yes, we're hurting ourselves, but we're grieving the Father. And so true change really comes when we stop grieving the Father. Are you hating the dearly beloved Son? You know, Jesus is that dearly beloved Son. Jesus is the one and only begotten Son of God that He gave for our salvation. He is God's beloved Son. And when you look about the claims that Jesus makes about Himself, there's really no room in the world for a Son like this. There's really no room in the world for a Savior like this. And there's really no room in the world for a lord like this. Because Jesus says, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." There's no room in this world for Jesus who makes these claims. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone who to whom the Son chooses to reveal him in Matthew 11 and verse 27, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 chapter, verse 9, God's great purpose is to reconcile all things through Christ through Jesus the agenda of the world is to reconcile all things without Christ that Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me and Jesus has been made Lord of our lives, in Matthew 10 30 says this, whoever loves his father, mother son, daughter more than me is not worthy of me. But he said, You know what? I'm not going to have this man rule over me. Jesus is not going to be my Lord. And yet we hate and we reject Jesus. And the question for you this morning is Are you hating the beloved Son? So we're going to look at this great turning point in the brother's story because it's really amazing. It's really amazing what happens. God leads His entire test and situation of transformation in these brothers' lives. 20 years have passed. They have to go face the governor. They actually go to him and we see God's incredible grace and mercy. Because they don't even know that who they're going to go see is actually their brother Joseph. He's the governor of Egypt now. Oh, So they go and... And they actually get invited to have to a meal with Joseph. They get invited to eat with him. They receive special gifts. They receive God's favor and God's grace. And in chapter 43, we're not going to get a chance to read that, but it actually says that the brothers ask themselves, you know, why is this going on in our lives? Why is God against us? And one of, one of Joseph's servants, an Egyptian, says, what do you mean God's against you? God is for you. All this stuff that's going on in your life, God is for you. So here you have these brothers, sinners, haters, liars, deceivers, grievers, and yet they're receiving God's mercy, God's grace, God's patience. Because all God wants them to do is to change, to be transformed, to stop grieving the Father, and to start loving the Son. This is a turning point in the brother stories. I want us to read here uh, in Genesis chapter 44 and verse 6 and and, and on. How do we see these brothers in chapter 44, their turning point of really loving the Father? Well, they're having this meal, and uh, they're having this this meal with, with Joseph. And I invite you to go later on and read these chapters yourself. Okay, because they're awesome. And they had this meal with Joseph, and so Joseph says, you know what, I want to put them to the test. I want to see what's really going on in my brother's hearts. Have they really changed? Are they really different? I mean, you can imagine, you're Joseph, you've been alone, you haven't seen your family. These are the guys that betrayed him. But yet there's a longing, there's like a, a desire for you, a reunion. But he's like, hey, I don't know. Are they changed? Are they different? And so he devises a test. And in this test, the first test is they all eat together. And as they're eating together, they all receive their portion from Joseph's table. You know, there was the, kind of the, the table where the governor ate, and then there was another table for his guests. I mean, that's how big time Joseph was. He was big time. He had his own table. And so, what he did is he actually got food from his table, which was a fancier, nicer, and better served table than the other table. And he served it to his brothers. But to Benjamin, he gave five times as much. Five times more. So Joseph is like, well, let me see. They hated me, the beloved brother. The new beloved brother is Benjamin. He's, he's my blood brother. He's Rachel's son. You know, if they hated me, they're probably going to hate Benjamin too. Let's see what they do. So he gives him five times more food than he gives them. And let's see what happens. So I could just see Joseph sitting there and he's seeing this whole thing and then he like observes his brothers. And their brothers are cool with it. They're fine. They just continue eating. But, you know, the test doesn't stop there. He gives them bags of gold and, you know, provisions to return with them. And in one of the bags, he asks a servant to put in Benjamin's sack a, uh, a goblet of, of gold. And he asks him to put it in that sack. And then he sends them on their way. And then we see uh, this situation here, Genesis forty-four six through nine. Then he sends his servants behind them, after them. And then, you know, it says the Bible says in verse six, it says when he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said to him, "Why does my lord say such things that we've stolen from you? Far be it from your servant to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouth of the sack. This is the first trip they made." So why would we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of you will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said, let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. Then the steward proceeded to to search, beginning with the oldest... Reuben, going down through Judah, and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. And so Joseph sees the brothers return, and maybe he expected just one brother to return. Just Benjamin. Because it would have been really easy for them just to say, you know what, if we give up Benjamin, we're going to be saved. We're going to be alright. But not just that. They were actually saying the truth. You know, Father, hey, we tried to come back, bring your son, but, you know, the governor of Egypt took him. And we couldn't do anything about it. But yet we see them tear their clothes and we see a transformation. We see a change. And so Joseph is waiting outside as, you know, the servants come back and he maybe expects just to see Benjamin coming. But they all come. All the brothers are coming. And Joseph says, you know, could there be a change? Could there be a change in their love for the Father? Has it? Have they changed? Judah then starts speaking to Joseph. And he doesn't know that Joseph is his brother yet. And he begins to speak. And in this passage, over 20 times, he mentions the word father. My father, how can we do this to my father? And it says in verse 19 to 20, My Lord has the servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, we have an aged father. And there's a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he's the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. This is Judah. Judah was the one that says, Hey, let's sell him. And this is the speech that Judah is giving to Joseph. And verse what he says, he says, and, and we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father if he leaves him. His father will die. I'm here, you see, I mean, Judah is pleading, please, let him go back. You know, my father is not going to be good for him if this happens. And we see a heart in the brothers to stop grieving the father. In verse 34 it says, and this is intense, Judah actually says, how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No. Do not let me see the misery that would come of my father. So you see this transformation. And you can imagine Joseph looking at his brothers and says, Wow! What happened? These guys that have grieved their father for 20 years are changed are different Well, what about loving the son you know that is the other challenge for them in verse 33 this is again Judah you guys remember Judah right the guy who says let's sell him look what he says now about his brother he says now then please let your servant remain here as my lord slave in place of the boy And let the boy return with his brothers. Judah says, you know what? I'll stay. Put me in jail. Punish me. But let this boy go. And so Joseph sees, you know, do they hate my brother, how they hated me? And they say, there's a change. They actually love and care for the beloved son. What needs to change? They need to stop grieving the father. What needs to change? They need to stop hating the son. What changed in these ten brothers? They stopped grieving the father and said, No, we're not going to do this. And they stopped hating the beloved son. You know, we see some stories here, and throughout this whole book, you see so many points. Pointing to Jesus. So many times alluding to Jesus. We see Judah. Right? And we see Judah stepping up. And Judah is the one who says, You know what? I'll step in there. I'll take His place. And so Judah, in a sense, prefigures Jesus. Because Jesus, in the same way, took our place. But there's also some contrasts. But the incredible thing is, why Judah? And when you think about it, when you think about the line of Jesus, you know where the line of Jesus goes through? It doesn't go through Reuben. It doesn't go through Joseph. It doesn't go through Benjamin. It goes through Judah. The Lion of Judah. David is from the tribe of Judah. So, where's the line of Jesus? It's Judah. This guy who 20 years before decided to sell his brother now is a guy who says, you know what? I'll take his place. And so we see Jesus prefigured, we see pointing to Jesus in Judah. You know, but there's also some contrast. You know, Judah was a brother who offered himself in place of the loved and favored son. Jesus was a loved and favored son who offered Himself in the place of His brothers. You know, when we think about Judah, He was the guilty one. He was guilty of grieving the Father and giving up the Son. He offered Himself in the place of Benjamin, who was innocent of sins against Joseph and Jacob. But yet Jesus was innocent. He was the innocent one, who offered Himself in the place of the guilty. You know, Judah offered to become a slave in order that his brothers may go free. But for Jesus, it meant dying on a cross in order that his brothers may go free. And Judah offered something great, but the mercy of Joseph prevented him from going through with it. But Jesus not only offered it, he not only offered to become a substitute, he did it. He gave himself, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. Seal my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You know, we see the brothers. The brothers who finally decided to repent. To change. To stop grieving the Father and start living the son, loving the Son. And that's our story today. Of repentance, of change, of being different. Of stopping... Are grieving of the Father and beginning to love the Son, and we see it. We see it after Peter's great denial. You now Peter denies Jesus three times. He says, "No, I never will," but he, he does it. And then Jesus restores him. And then that in that time of restoration, we see very detailed in the Book of John. There's not much talk about the denial. I don't know if you notice. There's not a big discussion, you know, why did you deny me? How did this happen? When did it happen? When did you first start being tempted by it? When did you end it up? There's no much talk about it. You know all he asks? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And we see repentance and restoration is about loving the beloved son and so we see that in this story and we see Joseph and I want to end with this uh, because you know the heart of true repentance is to stop grieving the father and to start loving the son but there's a blessing with that there's so many blessings with that you know that prophecy that, that thing that Joseph mentions at the end you know you thought that all this was for harm but it was actually for salvation it was fulfilled in these brothers lives as they became the people of God. You know, but there's something else that we can learn here about Jesus. And that's to look at through Joseph. We see Jesus' response to us. When we decide to repent. When we decide to change. The Bible says this in chapter 45 and verse 1. This is the end after 44, that pivotal Chapter says, so then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. Um, he put them to the test and he's like, Wow! I can't believe it! These guys are changed! These are my brothers! Wow! And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly... The Egyptians heard him
1: and Pharaoh's household heard
0: about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. How do we see Jesus? When you and I decide to stop grieving the father, when you and I decide to start loving the son, and just as Joseph at that moment reveals himself to his brother, then Jesus reveals himself to us. And he says, "Here I am. Here I am in your life. I want to be with you. You love me. I love you. Let's do this. Let's work together for him." So this story, it's really about you and me. It's about change and transformation, and it's about being tested and transformed. I pray to God that that happens to all of us. Amen? May God bless you. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's have a closing song this morning.